0: Running is something that just always I was always good at, and something that I would do no matter what. It was always my little escape in some way. Um, whatever was happening at home, running would just make me feel a little better when I got to go out. It was just my escape, and I need it. I need it till this day. It, it, it's the only time that I feel that nothing negative could touch me.
1: What's up, everyone? I'm your host, Mario Fraioli, and heading into this holiday week, we're going to rerun one of my favorite episodes of the podcast from years past. This one is from January 2020, and it's with Fernando Cabada, a former professional distance runner who is still competing at an elite level. In fact, Fernando is now one of the fastest Masters runners in the country, running 216.51 at Grandma's Marathon back in June to qualify for the 2024 U.S. Olympic Trials Marathon. It's actually his fifth Olympic trials that he is qualified for, and he did it at the age of 40. He's also the Masters American record holder for 50K, running 257.35 earlier this year. In this conversation, which we recorded in person in his hometown of Fresno, California, Fernando told me about his rough upbringing in Fresno, where he suffered abuse at the hands of his father, to the close relationship that he has with his mother, and how that's even strengthened in recent years. We talked about being embarrassed by who he was as a kid and how he's worked to put that behind him later in life. He told me why finishing second in a schoolyard race as a nine-year-old was the best day of his life to that point. Fernando explained why he was feeling more depressed than ever in 2014, despite it being his best year of racing, and how he picked himself up afterward and found a way forward. We also discussed his relationship with running, the place it occupies in his life, and a heck of a lot more. Before we get into it, I'd like to thank my longtime partner New Balance for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Let me tell you about the new fuel cell Supercomp Elite V3. I just got a pair of these a few weeks ago, and I already know that it's gonna be the shoe that I race the Boston Marathon in, in April. It's a next level racing shoe with a carbon fiber plate and plenty of lightweight foam underfoot for a cushioned yet responsive ride. I've done a few speed workouts in them now, and it feels like I'm floating down the road. These babies have a smooth ride and are super fun to run in. Right now, there are select sizes remaining in an exclusive New York City Marathon colorway that are available on newbalance.com, so try and snatch them up before the holidays if you can, and they'll be more widely available in early 2023. This episode is also brought to you by Gooder, my favorite sunglasses for running, driving, walking the dog, and pretty much everything else I do in bright sunlight. This coming weekend, from Black Friday through Cyber Monday only, Gooder will be offering 20% off their entire product line, so if you're in the market for some fresh shades that won't bounce, don't slip, and are polarized to protect your eyes, go to gooder.com and fill up your cart. Also, if you'd like to support me in the podcast, go over to gooder.com slash Mario and use the code Mario15 to get free shipping on your entire order. That's G-O-O-D-R.com slash Mario, M-A-R-I-O, and use the code M-A-R-I-O-1-5 to get free shipping on your entire order. And remember, your face will thank you. Okay, that's it for the introduction. Please enjoy this rerun of episode 95 from January 2020 with Fernando Cabada. We're good to go. Fernando Cabada, it's good to be here with you in your hometown of Fresno, California. You have lived in a lot of places over the last 20 years, but this is where you grew up. You graduated high school from here in 2000. You went off to Arkansas. You've been, I mean, we'll talk about it countless places since then, but you are back here in your hometown where you grew up. And that's where I'd love to start this conversation. Tell me a bit about Fresno, California, and what makes it such a special place for you.
0: Uh, first off, uh, thanks, Mario, for, uh, making your way down here south into the Central Valley. Um, it's always real nice to be able to have people that's never been here or don't know much about it. But, uh, yeah, thank you for making the effort to come. Um, so yeah, you know, uh, this is where it's all, where it all started for me. Fresno is just my home. Uh, there's a little bit of, I guess, stigma or people from California probably wouldn't choose Fresno to, to come, you know, their destination unless they're going to Yosemite, where, where the gateway, um, you know, to the Sierra Nevada mountains, where, uh, you know, Yosemite, um, but most of all, it's just, it's just my home. It's where I've always had my heart. You know, people who, uh, who follow me will always hear me say Central Valley or, or Fresno. Um, and that's, you know, where I come from. And, it depends, you know, just like any town there, there's good and bad sides to everything. Um, but I feel that, you know, being here in the central valley in Fresno, it's a special place where we're, we're hard workers, you know, you want to make it in anything that's goes anywhere in the world, but especially this place, um, you know, if you can make it out of here, you know, you could do amazing things. And, uh, so yeah, well, it's a lot of good things about Fresno, a lot of bad things, but, um, you know i try to focus on the good things and and stuff like that
1: when you were growing up here did you think you would be here for your entire life did you know anything else or was there a goal when you were a young child to someday explore the world and see other places and maybe settle somewhere else
0: yeah like um when i was growing up man it wasn't a it wasn't a good a good life um you know it was a lot of uh chaotic things a lot of torment a lot of uh situations and and obviously people who follow my story it's a lot of it's going to have to do with my father um my father was a heroin addict and um he actually met my mom you know um as kids but they got together by writing letters uh for 5 years my dad Got out of California and I, I believe it was Florida where his brother was stationed somewhere in the military or something along those lines. And he ended up getting mixed up with the gangs over there and ended up doing some robbery or so. And so he spent his 18th, 19th, 21st birthday, all that in, in, in prison. And so when he got out, he was probably 22 years old, came back home and my mom and the, they've been writing letters. They hooked up nine months later. I came out and. You know, that, that was, uh, those were my parents. Uh, my mom had an eighth grade, ninth grade education. My dad had an eighth grade education, just got out of a five-year prison thing. And, um, you know, he didn't really develop any patience. I got, you know, uh, abused a lot. A lot of times I remember just sneaking out of the house, jumping out of the window, going to a batter's women's shelter, you know, getting picked up around the corner in the middle of the night, um a lot of things you know uh, that's that's kind of what i remember and i try to think of some good things but i guess when my dad would go to prison and uh, a week or two would passed by and i actually wouldn't be walking on eggshells but um, i might develop a lot of anxiety and a lot of um things from those traumatic experiences that took me a long time to um kind of control and um <clears throat> And so, yeah, you know, when I was little, I would look at a map and I felt so like, um, my, my little bubble that I was in, I, there was nothing good about it. And all I could do was kind of daydream. So I would look at a map and I would say, man, I wonder how, how these kids over here would, um, would play, uh, what do they do over there? And I never even been on a plane. I never even knew anyone that had been on a plane. Um, you know, I grew up off the government. Um, at this point, by the time I was eight, nine years old, my mom had, you know, I had my brother and sister born, three kids. She didn't even have her GED. She was 36 years old when she went and got her GED. Um, I think she started getting a job for 8 $9 an hour when she was 37 years old or so. Um, and, and so all I really had was these dreams. And, um, and, yeah, for some reason, I just wanted to just escape and, you know. Fast forward, you know, when I become good and running and I get to go to college, I just wanted to leave and never come back and just run away from all my problems. But obviously, when you go through life, you're not going to outrun anything. So,
1: yeah. So you had this relationship with your dad as you're growing up. You're, correct me if I'm wrong, fearful of him. Because mm. you said when he would go off to jail, like you could kind of breathe a sigh of relief for a bit. Mm. What was your relationship with your mom like when you were growing up as a young kid? <clears throat> yeah, you know, my mom, mama, I'm my a boy. Um
0: I went through a stage, you know, when I got, you know, 12, 13, 14 was I was really disrespectful to my mom. Um, just kind of like the
1: defiant young teenager.
0: Yeah. You know, I called my mom a bitch one time. Uh, I was 14 years old and, um, we we're throwing, she was helping me, you know, I was throwing uh, the newspaper and, um, she would get up, you know, and come help me roll the paper and, and to go throw it and get up and it'd be cold and everything. I forgot what she did. And I said, man, you bitch. And, uh, and my mom could have, um, easily just gave up and in life, right. And went to drugs and, and felt sorry first saw, but my mom was always a hard worker. And even though I said, yeah, we grew up, um, on welfare and it made her, and, and, and I felt bad over the years telling the story because it made me almost seem like she was just a freeloader, but she didn't grow up like that. My mom grew up, um, with nine sisters and she had two brothers, both died at a young age, too young. And, um she grew up in the country. Her family came over and they're migrant farm workers and she would get up and from Mexico. Yeah. From Mexico. My dad, my grandpa, my grandpa was from Texas, but, um, they always just, my, my, both my grandparents on that side are from Texas, but she, um, they're from, uh, our roots are from Mexico and stuff like that. But at the time they just, that's what they did. Um, no education or anything. So that my mom was a hard worker and, um, that's what she was used to doing. She fell in love with my dad and, um, she was a hard worker, and she always was, and she was always there for me, and she did the best she can. And um, there's a lot of things as a kid that that I wish I was there for. You know, I i have held on to a lot of guilt, and you know, some of this it's, I get to kind of like think about and uh, stuff that I,
1: I, I had bottled up. But um, I'm—I I owe her, you know, I owe her. So, when you were a kid, is it safe to say? she was a role model for you from early on. Did you notice that work ethic when you were young or did that not impress upon you until later in life?
0: When I was a kid, I was embarrassed. I was embarrassed who, who the fuck I was, who my parents were. The fact that we're poor. I wish that I could wake up and be a different person. I'd wake up. I used to think, man, I wish I could just have different parents. And it hurts me that I thought like that. I just, um, especially coming to Clovis, right. You know, I was nine, 10 years old and, you know, you start looking around, you start seeing all these kids that that haven't made. When I was in Fresno, everybody's in the is in the slums. You know, everybody like the elementary schools I went to, everybody was fighting. And you could get beat up or beat someone up, and you could go to class that next five minutes and crying and all, wiping away your tears, and you are got to go to school. It wasn't like oh, you're gonna get suspended. There was were wild kids over there where, where I grew up in my neighborhood, but that was just normal to you. That was normal, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Our. <laughs> it's kind of funny. We're just all bad kids, you know? Anyway, so then when I went to Clovis, um, I started looking, I was like, man, they all have a house. We didn't have a car. Um, so what's
1: Clovis? It's a town outside of Fresno? It's right
0: next door. It's a suburb. Um, well, it's its own city, right? Um, it's about, now it's about a hundred thousand people. Uh, Fresno's a half million. So yeah, it's a place where mostly everybody, um, both parents, um just different demographic. D- different everything. Different it's like if you wanna you wanna have a good life, you go to Clovis. Um, you know, I wanna <laughs> I wanna make sure I live in Clovis, you know, stuff like that. That's kinda where you say you made it. And you know, there's people who still struggle and the people and you know what, not everybody not everybody who goes to Clovis is gonna be successful. You know why I was successful? It was because I was a fast runner. If I was just some some normal kid, some normal Hispanic kid and I didn't want to get with the program, my ass was gonna go to continuation school in a heartbeat and I wasn't going to get, get the, I wasn't going to be able to, um, I guess, drink from the well. I wasn't going to be able to be successful. and, And, and the thing is, is in the Clovis Unified School District, people come for a good, for a good life. And, it's zero tolerance and um, some kids um, just need more work than others and I was just fortunate enough to have a talent and to have support and people yeah coaches support me and stuff and kind of help me guide my to to being successful
1: so how did you end up in Clovis at eight nine years old from Fresno <clears> what was the transition there
0: yeah so my mom got a word of the, she got in the section eight um, program which went off your income so a lot of people a lot of people um I mean, it takes years to get on this, right? And so the thing is, is they go off your income. However, there's only so many houses. or so many homeowners that's going to want people on that program in their home renting. Well, my, um, I think the only successful, one of the only successful people around was uh, my mom, uh, my uncle, my uncle Fernie. And I, and I don't know if it's 100% exactly how it went, but to my understanding is he knew somebody who owned houses and was willing to rent to my mom because of him, you know, could kind of vouch for her. So we were able to go to Clovis and we lived uh, right next to Tarpey. Yeah, two other siblings
1: you said at this other, time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Barely. My brother was barely born. Um, my sister was one, one two years, years old. old. Yeah. Barely able to walk and I was in third grade and I went and it was a culture shock. I mean, I went to where there's probably 10 Hispanic kids or something opposed to like 60 70 percent hispanic where where i was so all of a sudden it it, i I left a place that was even in fresno we didn't really know what gangs were when we were little but in clovis automatically i was almost in one just because i just hung out with all the kids who looked like me so all the hispanics just hung out together because that's just who we identified with so
1: was that a tough transition for you Mm yeah but i was a kid yeah it was um did you make friends easily
0: yeah no i always had um you know i just hung out with people who looked like me um i just but yeah i just hung out with other hispanic kids and then um i probably flirted around with being a wannabe gang member in junior high um you know, that's just kind of how how it is for a lot of Hispanic, especially growing up in southeast Fresno and that culture. And um, it probably would have been different if I went to kindergarten and all that stuff, just raised in Clovis and played with the neighborhood kids. But I was—you've um You'd been on this path for a little while. I had, ti- I had ties already. I had ties. A lot of my cousins and everything that didn't have a chance to go to Clovis didn't didn't run. They um, they were affiliated people, and I wanted to be like them. I that, those are my heroes, you know. I wanted to be like my father. I wanted to be a, a somebody. I wanted to be hard, um, and um, yeah. So it, it's like I, that's how my self worth, how hard worth was. Is this is this guy? Is this guy down? Can this guy beat this guy up? Is this guy gonna back down? Like stupid stuff like that. That doesn't really matter now, right? And um, but as a kid, that's that means everything to a Hispanic kid in this area, and I. Um, yeah, I, I just, you know, when I got to high school, um, I remember I couldn't afford to go to the Buchanan cross-country camp, and every week, Monday or Sunday or something, once or twice a week, we'd meet at Buchanan, and um, they asked everybody who, and it was only $170, $170 for a week camp in Morrill Bay. Beautiful, it was dirt cheap, but 170 bucks, you might as well have said 1700 bucks, it was the same thing to me and my mom. Um and they, I raised my hand. I was one of the only people who raised my hand, and they said, "No, you're gonna go." And they, they made sure I went. Um, and that, that was what changed my life. I, all these other little white kids, you know, listening to alternative music, and I started just laughing and, you know, listening to whatever they're listening to. It's like, oh man, this is cool. And that's when I started to change a little bit. But still, I was still just with all my friends and people I grew up with. And
1: she I, got I a could, big family
0: yeah yeah thirty five first cousins but, um, but yeah, it took me a while. it was all a process, you know, I think, um, as I became more successful in high school, I just started to change more um <clears throat> but uh yeah it, it just really was just focusing on positive stuff as far as changing now that I think about it, I don't know how much I've actually changed, it's just I look at life a little bit different, and I am very much still um a part of a certain side, you know, but it's just, I'm, I'm a part of this side, but I'm trying to be more positive. I am from Southeast Fresno. I am Hispanic. I am affiliated with certain people, but that doesn't mean that it's bad or criminal or anything like that. That's just who I identify with. And I want to wake a lot of people up who have who have it in them like don't sell yourself short you know um, my dad was a very talented person very athletic I got his skills from him you know I am Fernando uh, I'm a junior but I am my dad I am I am him now it's just I'm a better version I'm only fulfilling everything that he wasn't able to um, he, he was the talent, one of the most fastest kids in school and everything he never who, who knows what he would have done but um I'm just fulfilling him and stuff so
1: can you take more pride in that now that you're older and you have a different perspective than you did when you were a oh. kid and you were ashamed of it? Yeah. I, I need to tell, I need to tell
0: um, my story, um, for people who may be going down the path that I'm going to and think that they have to sell themselves short and get involved in gangs to make them feel like, or do something stupid or hurt somebody to make them feel that they have worth or they're somebody, you know, because when it comes down to it, a lot of people who went down that path who I know personally, um, Way too much is they're locked up in prison and they're not getting out and they just they get to miss out on everything. I'd rather be successful and travel the world and, you know, make our parents proud, you know, and, you know, look at like my family itself is riddled with. You know, alcoholics, drug addicts, um, you know, gambling issues, you know, it's just and I'm, I'm heartbroken and it's not like I'm perfect. But um, definitely going down a lot better path, and I definitely have some big goals. And um, that's what I'm kind of figuring, you know, kind of focused on right now. I mean, running was just something that, was, that showed me what I'm capable of. I mean, some kid that just was, at one point, I was just like a nobody. And everybody has that story, right? Everybody says, oh, I didn't get picked to be on the football team or the basketball team or whatever. I was too short to it wasn't even that it was just even just being suppressed and being felt like I was just trapped in a room and cried. And for the longest time, I felt like nobody could hear me cry, you know, and uh, now I got a voice that, you know, people know, know who I am and and stuff like that. So
1: when you were eight, nine years old, what were some of the things that you were interested in as a kid? You really into sports, art, school, maybe? I don't know.
0: You know, I I started running a little bit. Like I guess I was like nine years old when I started running. and Is that when you moved to Clovis? When I moved to Clovis, we used to run a half mile. So it was around a a so called track. They just had a line, an oval loop, and supposedly that's supposed to be 400 meters. Like around the schoolyard. Yeah, that literally. And um, I we would go and we'd race. And the first time I ever did this, right, I got second place. And when I ran and I got second place. That was probably the most joy I've ever had in my life up until that point, getting second place. And everybody gave me acknowledgment saying, oh, wow, you're fast. And it started from there, my goal. And I've said this before in other interviews, but my only goal in my life at that point that all I cared about was being number one in my school. It, And I was nine years old. And it, take, it took me till I was a, a junior in high school, 16 years old, to finally be number one in my school. And yeah, it took me that long. And, but at the same time of being number one in my school is number one in the conference, number one, in our section, one of the best in the state, one of the best in the nation. So it just all kind of came. It was crazy.
1: What was it about finishing second in that schoolyard race that made you so happy?
0: It was just a feeling. It was just a feeling of kind of being powerful, I guess in, in some way kind of, um, cause I just never knew what that felt like anything kind of go
1: my way. So that was the first time in your life
0: that, that you f- felt that way. Very first time. I mean it it just something I, I just remembered, yeah. just And it opened crazy. your eyes to possibility. I didn't even know how to dream like that big. I, I didn't know what that I didn't I never really heard um you know how a lot of parents build you up and or your dad says, Hey son, you could do this or that, you know, I believe in you, you could do anything you set your mind to. I never heard that until Maybe my mom would have probably said that, but again, my mom only had limited limited knowledge about anything you know she was just trying to make it in her world and you know I can only imagine what she was going through only knowing so much going through it with my father I I couldn't only imagine and um, so looking back back at everything you know definitely I have a big respect for my mom and she's actually in town Uh, she's staying with me for the week she still is in Denver um, and I just want to be around her you know and I know one day she will leave me and You know, she has been my crutch. She has been my protector, especially the last five, six years. Um, I've gotten extremely closer than ever. You know, when I was in college, I would come back. I would just go out with my friends, you know. That's all I cared about. I didn't really care about spending time with my mom. And, you know, once I got closer to 30, I just really, you know, gave me time to kind of uh, reflect back when I was younger. And I I let my mom down a lot, you know. Um, You know, one time, and this is one of many, My mom was getting hit by my father and, um, I just, I was seven years old or so. And I just laid there, uh, paralyzed, pretending I was asleep and I didn't go and call the cops. I didn't do anything. A lot of times I didn't, I didn't do anything for my mom and I couldn't, I was a kid. I was scared. I was, I was scared. And, uh, and I had on a lot of guilt in my life and, and it affected me even when I'd be successful in my running. It affected me and I felt like I didn't deserve anything, you know, and, and I don't know if that's exactly it, but it's something along those lines where I held on a lot of guilt, and and I and I've been working through all that, and um, in my own little way. But um, now this is uh, this is life, and all I could do is just um, do the best I can, like just like do the best I can with the, the hand that, that was dealt to you. But it's, um, it's it's turning around big time for me though nowadays. Even though all this sad stuff I'm talking about. Um, it, it, it gives me even more motivation, more fire. Um, I want to remember this. I want to acknowledge it. I want to know what fuels me. And and, and, and I'm giving back my little way now. Um, here and there, little small battles that I won't get into, but I'm giving back to people who grew up like me and I, I'm not a hero, man. I mean, I, I'm not in the position where I could just go and lift the uh, city up. All I could do is do little things and, and, and conduct myself in a certain way to where if anyone acknowledges it and sees it and they could get some type of um, motivation from it, then then that's good.
1: But I'll push back on that a little bit. I don't think a hero needs to be someone who is going to change the the culture of place or is gonna you know have a widespread impact on a city you can be a hero to one person i mean there's gonna be i guarantee you there's at least one person who's gonna listen to this conversation whether they're here in fresno or somewhere else who is gonna relate to your story and be like that guy's my hero whether they heard of you before or not That'd be cool. And I, well, I mean, I think that's probably already happened because you've yeah. done other interviews and your stories out there and it's like, you're very connected to this place. And obviously right. people know you mm-hmm. from here because this is where you, you grew up and you did a lot of things that, that got you some recognition. And I think, you know, I don't know who, but I'm sure that someone in this area is, has, seen like, Hey, that guy for he grew up in Southeast Fresno. Mm-hmm. You know, he had, he had a hard life growing up and mm-hmm you know, look at what he's done. Like he's right. gone on to win national championships. He's broken records. Like he's been on TV, you know, he's traveled the world. Like I, like if that guy can do it, like I can do it.
0: Yeah, exactly. That's, that's a hero. Yeah. Even yeah. if
1: it's the one person.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's kind of what matters. I, um, I sometimes I try to be the person that I've always wanted and Needed. Um, if I take someone under my wing or I coach them or, um, there's a kid I started, um, kind of mentoring now. He, he, literally grew up he lives at till this day one street over from where i lived in my old neighborhood and um and yeah so you know i don't know it's 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 fun you know it's just like man you know i could it's like that it was just meant to be um i'm not so religious but i believe in god i believe in you know, he has a plan for us. I believe that a lot of things that I went through, I felt that I needed to go through to really understand people and to really understand, just be able to help, I guess, in my own little way. And I wish, well, no, I wish I didn't have to go through some of the stuff I went through. But um, but it 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 just if if
1: anyone can handle it, it's me. And yeah. I'd love to go back to that time when you were eight, nine years old. You ran that first race at Clovis. You finished second. It's the best you'd ever felt in your life to that point. I, I imagine that's probably like one of the first times that you ever like ran, like right. really like really went for a run. And right. obviously you've stuck with it since then because that's been, you know, your career, that's kind of what got you an education, that's kind of you know, what got you to different places in life was there something about that experience of of not just winning but running that felt freeing to you or something that you wanted to continue doing or was it just running was that first thing that you showed some promise in and you were like well this is this is it this is what i should be doing with myself i I think at this point
0: i think as a kid who doesn't want to be good at something i got some recognition and you know what i got second it was only amongst my class it was like 30 kids 25 kids
1: because you weren't training, that's just a race you just jump into. Yeah, I was just during P, school, hours. yeah,
0: PE, yeah. Um, and in fourth grade, so I was in third grade, In fourth grade, we start running cross country. So, you know, Clovis is really good, we got really good athletics, and the thing is, they start us young. So, in fourth grade, we start running cross country, which was a K, uh, it was like, yeah, one kilometer was for fourth graders, I think it was a mile for fifth and sixth graders, however. So, fourth grade, I started running. And I was always second best on the team, second or third. And, you know, you're just a part of something. Who doesn't want to be a part of something? I wasn't tough. You know, I wasn't, you know, going to be a gang member or something like that at that age either. Um, I was really soft hearted kid. You know, like I got abused a lot. And so I, I was really afraid of everybody. I was afraid of people. I, you know, I just didn't know I had anxiety, but I always Do you have a hard time trusting people. Oh, yeah. I was always afraid. I never went to a concert. I would always think, oh, how about if I get stabbed or how about, you know, and so, um, I'll, I'll, I'll fast forward now, but I would come back, but that's why I developed drinking. Um, when I, when I was a freshman in high school and college, when I started going to parties, I didn't want to go anywhere unless I was drunk or something like that. So anyways, yeah. So going back, um, I, uh, yeah. Um, running is just something that calmed me down. It made me feel invincible. It, it was like, I was like a Superman. Um, it's kind of been the one constant that was you since that's you've only, been eight, nine years old, that and your mom. The only thing that's been consistent in my life, um, th- and that's, is running. And that's, you know, when I started, you know, cause I coach as well. And, you know, when I was starting a, uh, my coaching business about four and a half years ago, I'm like, I'm not, I don't want to no one to rely on me. Like I can't promise anything. But then I was like, well, you know, running is something that I know and I'm just really good at it. and, you know. Now I got like people who are like with me for over three years, even some people with me from the beginning, almost five years now. Um And so that's pretty cool. But yeah, running is something that just always, well, I was always good at and something that I would do no matter what. It was always my little escape in some way. Um Whatever was happening at home, running would just make me feel a little better when I got to go out. It was just my escape and I need it. Um I need it till this day. Um it, it, It's the only time that I feel that nothing negative could touch me.
1: Let's fast forward a little bit to high school. You ran at Buchanan, which is one of the top programs, not only in California, in the country most years. I mean, they're solid year in and year out. Um, C.J. Albertson, who just finished second at CIM, he also ran at Buchanan. I mean, a number of good runners yeah, in come. Kyle, Kyle Alcorn. Yeah, Olympian. have come through that program yeah. you know, over the years. When you got to high school, were you the top guy on the team or did it take a few years for you to show your promise?
0: my freshman and sophomore year I have ran um I definitely wasn't so when I got there our PRs those are young program when I got there we had a 955 two mile PB 428 or 25 or something like that when you're a freshman when a freshman so I broke still super
1: solid for yeah, a freshman
0: that was no That was our school records okay I broke ten minutes I was 959 I see Then like 4.49. But there was a kid faster than me. His name is Jeff Torres. He passed away a few years back. Um, And then my sophomore year, I I won some titles at conference. I was 4.22 miler, 9.26 two miles. So at this point, I had the school records. But there was a guy named Ryan Smith Hart. (laughs) And he had my ticket. He was faster than me. Um, So cross country and stuff. um, I wasn't number one. Huh. I'm trying to think, man. It's been a long time—22 years ago. So I, 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 don't, I don't consider myself number one because it was like that guy had my number, and it, it just depended on the event. He was a 156, 800 meter guy. If he would, he could sit on me and outkick me and, and stuff like that. Yeah, and the two miles number one, but I wasn't the fastest runner in the school. I, I never really believed. Um, my my junior year is when everything changed, and it was really because I grew. So, for example, I was 4'11 in seventh grade. 5'3 in freshman year, 5'7 sophomore year, and then I was 5'10 as a junior, and I started stretching out. And I went from all of a sudden, you know, eight nine 9.59, 9.26 as a sophomore, 8.59, breaking nine minutes for the 3,200. It was a
1: huge jump, especially at those speeds.
0: Yeah. And that was actually the fastest. That was our Central Valley record. Um, the record was from like 1970. I think a guy named Castro Lopez out of Sanger, California, Sanger High School, he was nine flat and I was 859. Um, and that was in 1999. And so, and you know what? I didn't really run. We didn't, we were running 30 something miles a week, five, six miles a day. Um, but we'd run like six minute pace. And that's kind of how it was in the nineties. Um, and, and so, yeah, you know, I, Two three years later, it went from nine fifty five to eight fifty nine, and I didn't really improve much my senior year. I mean, then again, that that time was so fast that it was kind of hard to mimic it. And um, but yeah, my my record didn't last long because Kyle Alcorn came a couple of years later. He um, ended up running like eight fifty three or eight fifty six or something crazy. He ended up going to Arizona State, winning national championships, and then Um And yeah, I think it was two thousand eight or 2012 as Olympian for, um, in the steeplechase. So, yeah, so we have definitely a good program. It was nice to be able to start the start
1: it and help set the bar. It seems like that's kind of like my role here. <laughs> <laughs> well, you set that initial bar high and right. I mean, it, it's, it's a healthy thing to see it continue to be lifted higher and higher by, by guys like that.
0: We, yeah, we have a good, um, same coaches there from then. Um, a lot of love, a lot of support, And I'm just grateful to be a part of, um, uh, the Buchanan history Uh, on, you know, nowadays, I mean, the girls, I mean, we had a girl ran like 1650 something, I mean, or something crazy fast at Woodward park. It's amazing. Um, the women were always more dominant than the guys were, uh, the program is known more for the women even though we had some really solid guys over the years but the women through and through they just they 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 take the cake so they were what state champs in cross country in 2019 and and in track as well so that's pretty huge
1: so you showed some early talent in running when you were 8 9 years old finishing second in you know, this essentially like school, 800 meters. mm -hmm. And then you go on to have a great high school career. And once your body matured, your times started to drop. Would you consider yourself a competitive person on top of all that? Like when you lined up for a race, you're like, I'm going to do whatever I can to to beat these people. That's kind of what I've
0: always done, even as an elite. Um, You know, people look at my training logs when I ran 211 a couple of times or in other big races. I had never really done anything crazy. I don't necessarily like to train hard. I never really was known as doing crazy workouts. It was just on the day I just could reach in me and, and surpass um, kind of my ability or what on paper what people thought because I just would race people. If I was really heated or really wanted to win, then I would try to go win, or if i needed to make some money i there's some times in life where i really needed to make money um and so yeah i would do it if i had to it just depends like if i was about to if i was hanging on by a thread sometimes those are when i raced um my my best races uh so yeah i was you know definitely competitive
1: do you become a different person when you step on the line and compete
0: oh yeah yeah i have to we uh, i mean yeah definitely um do you feel it yeah yeah, everything goes away. Like all the um, anxiety, everything, doubts, it all just goes away. It's just like you, the best version of of myself comes out. Um, not all the time. There are some times where, where I don't have a good day, but even my best, my worst races sometimes were my best races because imagine running every step completely defeated, completely drained of energy, and you still go and you finish and, you know, you might feel embarrassed or ashamed or whatever thoughts that are going through my mind, especially in 2016 when, you know, I put so much pressure on myself for the Olympic trials, you know, I'm, you know, in LA, you know, I was seventh at the trials in 2012 and we're doing these loops and I keep hearing my name and come on Fernando. And I'm just doing worse and worse and worse. And I'm trying to drop out and everyone keeps calling my name and I'm like, man, shut up, leave me alone. You know, like, let me, i couldn't hide and so I, I ended up finishing but that was probably one of my best races even though it, it hurt but i was so proud that i finished i was able to hold my head up high and now i'm happy i did you know like it's it, when it all comes down to it no matter how good i've done it's just it was a nice it's always a nice moment but that it's never going to save us and we're going to be so happy for the rest of our lives um i'm not saying it doesn't matter to run fast but to me i mean i've done well
1: but i'm just grateful for them but it was just nice moments. But that's what it's all about. And I think that's right. what most people listening to this podcast can relate to, even if they're nowhere near the level of running at the Olympic trials or even qualifying for Boston. Mm-hmm. I think we've all been in those moments in races where, for whatever reason, you just feel like shit. And right. you want to drop out and you want to stop, but you don't. And then you right. finish and you don't run a PR. And you don't yeah. you know, right. even come close to the goal that maybe you set for yourself, but you finished and you got through it. And right. I think that's what translates – outside of the competitive arena into other aspects of our lives
0: yeah you always gotta have um i always want to have pride in myself have uh honor honor myself honor like who i am and um i know that there's people that are watching you know sometimes whether i'm running good or bad i know that people follow me and i would just want to be known as a person that's gonna like go out there and give it all they got on the day um sometimes it might not be a perfect story tell ending um uh yeah and so i just always try to just do the best i can and and whatever that is it's like oh i gave it my own that day and and i got to be okay with it i have no choice but um yeah i mean i think we're all caught up on pbs and you know i remember when i when i when i had a breakout 2006 and i was american record holder and i won a national championship and i ran 212 in a marathon every single race people had expected me to do something special and great and that's just kind of wasn't the runner i was it it kind of took me a while to bring that race out it's not something that i could just like turn on a switch hey i'm gonna go run something amazing i just have to just be there and if if it if if it aligns then i could do it but um i I was never the the runner that could just run just i'm gonna go run 212 or 211 like every single time yeah
1: but that's what it's all about i mean as a Coach, I'm sure you experience this as well. I certainly do with the athletes I work with. They set a goal. Like, I want to break three hours in the mm-hmm. marathon. And then maybe they run 302, 305, whatever it is. They you know, they, they come close, but not mm-hmm. close. Maybe it's a personal best. Maybe it's not. But they don't hit that goal. Yeah. They set for themselves. And the first thing, like, I end up asking the athlete after the race, I'm like, was there anything else that you could have done? Did you leave it all out there? And if they say, no, I did everything that I could do. And that's what you get. You got 305. And you didn't get three hours. Like, you got to be happy with that. Like, and you got to walk away with your head held high saying like, I did everything that I could do and it just didn't pan out for me on this day.
0: Right. A lot of times we need to put in that work and have that consistency. The thing is, it took me years to get to a certain level. I didn't know what a professional runner was. I didn't think I could ever be one. I mean, I guess that's pretty cool that I I was once one. I mean, um, not anymore, but yeah. I just, you know, as long as we're out there giving it our all, that, that's that's all we could do in just in life in general. And it, and it translates out to, you know, real life. And, um,
1: yeah. Well, let's go back to high school. You and I graduated same year, 2000. You were in 859 as mm-hmm. a junior. And for those of you listening to this who are, you know— in step with what's happening currently in high school like back then if you ran 859 like you were one of a small handful of people in the u.s who broke nine minutes so you're one of the top high school boys in california which is one of the most competitive states but in the country and you've got colleges knocking on your door saying hey i want to come run for you what was that like for you as a kid who grew up in the projects of fresno you know parents had don't even have a high school education at that point to have coaches coming to your door saying, "Hey, we want to pay for your education right. and all I mean, you got to run for us because you have this incredible talent."
0: My senior year, it was a whole just exciting thing. I would come on the Fresno b It was just something that was like it was amazing. And I it started getting in my head and I would get all these um start getting these letters, right? And there's these letters, I kept Every single one of those letters till this day, I have a box. I, 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 for the first time in 20 years, I'm looking at these letters. I start opening them up and I start reading some of them. And some of them were actually like, like notes and coaches writing to me. Handwritten. I didn't, I was so fixated on the best though. I wanted to go to Arkansas, Stanford, of course, who didn't want to go to Stanford, but Stanford was like for the all American boy. You know what I mean? The, the, the all American good old boy, you know, and I just didn't necessarily fit that. Um, and also I just wasn't like, like academically like it, it just wasn't didn't fit for me and i think one of my high school coaches i think stanford contacted um buchanan and my coach was like fernando wouldn't be able to you know, a good fit no, for your program. no 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 and that's the honest truth um i was good at no you know what i wasn't good at school i didn't really care like i wasn't I I mean I think I got like three but I, I couldn't take those tests. And I couldn't. I wouldn't have survived uh, the Stanford. Not at that age, at that time of life. Next was Arkansas. Arkansas was more my type. Um, you know, it was a lot of foreigners going there. It just it
1: appealed to me. I wanted to go there. They they were dominating at the time. I think they won like two or three straight NCAA cross country titles. Yeah,
0: I was well, I was a part of the third um, team, but yeah, so. I had went there for my visit. They flew me out there and I wanted to go there. They had this museum and, you know, guys like Joe Falcon, Ruben Rania, um, Seneca Lasseter, and all these other fast guys just going to the Olympics and doing all this crazy stuff, running real fast. I wanted to go. I wanted to go. Northern Arizona, good guy, good coach. You know, I thought about that. Um, They wanted me. They flew me out there and some other Coaches came to my house, sat in my, you know, my, my, uh, kitchen and it, it was, it was cool, but I didn't, I, I, I wasn't confused. Cause I knew I wanted to go on the best schools, but then there's when, when colleges are coming over and they're offering me 100%, like they're like, Fernando, you could keep your financial aid, whatever Pell Grant you're going to get, that's your money. We're giving you 100%. We're paying whatever it is, we're paying your school. And, um, I had my uncle Fernie, the one that helped us get the house long, you know, the years prior. He's always been in my life. And he was the only one that was somewhat educated. He sold insurance for a lot of years. He rode with the, you know, with smart people. Right. And he just knew about that. So he was kind of like my agent. He was like my dad. Like he was the one talking for me and he would say, well, what about this? What about that? He's the kind of the one, the businessman. Right. And so he helped out a lot. Um, and so, yeah, it was all very, very cool experience. I eventually ended up going to Arkansas. I was very excited. And, um, you know, fast forward a bit going to Arkansas, I was there for t- four full semesters. Um, and I ended up improving, wow, my sophomore year. My freshman year, I was on, I was an alternate on their national championship team. I went there just in case anyone got injured, I would go. But the, I got to travel with the team to nationals. It was in Iowa. It was like the coldest day in history in 2000. Um, and they Keith Kelly won. Yeah, the year Keith Kelly won, and then um, had
1: people like sl- like slathering olive oil on their skin. It was so cold. I remember that. I
0: think Jorge Torres was second I think or you're so. Right with Boaz Chaboyo, it was like third or fourth or something like that. And then we, you know, Arkansas. Um, it was it was a cool feeling to be uh, a part of that. Later on, a couple of months later, I went to the in two thousand one. It was uh, the Junior World Championships with Ritz and Hine Camp. I actually made that team. So I was fifth place, top six to get to go. And so my senior year, I didn't make it to Foot Locker. And so i that was every kid's dream. And I should have went. I was really good at it. I mean, I was good enough to go. And I just, I didn't put it together. It was, you know, we started racing a lot in California. I just didn't hold on to uh, to my shape or mentally or whatever excuse, excuse I want to give. But the, when I made that junior team, it kind of made up for that. Like, all right, it proved to me that Still I could be got good it. in the cross country. Correct. Yeah. And um, that was cool. So I got to go to Belgium. So that was the first time I felt that I contribute something to the Arkansas program. To be a junior, you know, 19, 18, I think I was still 18 years old, 18-year-old kid going to world championships, um, USA, Jersey, and all that good stuff. Going with Ritz and Tekken Camp and Ian Dobson, Josh Biker, and Matt Maline or something like that. He was like a, a high school kid at the time. Going with that group. So I'm like, all right. Um, but, yeah, my sophomore year, we were third at NCAA. so I felt not, you know, getting a 4 P, and I was fifth man. and I got 70th at the NCAA cross-country meet, and, you know, I had a job, and I had to – I think Coach wanted me between thirty eighth, 32nd and 40th place. That was my job. He gave everybody a job, and if, if we could all hit our marks, we're going to win the Nationals, and we lost about 20, 30, 40 points or something like that, and I felt like I let the that team was the down. difference. That was the difference it was me and i think severus camelli i don't think he did what he was supposed to do but like alistair and, and i think lincoln they were up there um they did their job like they did really good i think alistair was like top four or top five and maybe even third or something i forget something something like that and then you had you know um other people up there and they did the good but i i didn't do good i did good because i was still improving by over a minute but i held on to that i left
1: however let's hit stop right there. Before we move forward, what was the transition like for you from high school to college? Because this is the first time in your life that you've been outside of this county, Fresno. Um, You've never lived anywhere else. You don't have a lot of life experience at that point outside of where you grew up. Well, you know, to
0: be honest, like, I liked Arkansas. I have nothing negative (laughs) to say. When it comes down to it, I just couldn't it, it, yeah, it's Arkansas, you know, you think of sometimes there's certain parts of Arkansas that has KKK, you know, you know people, but it's just, it, it was a good um, college town. Um, was it I, hard for you to be away from home? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, it was really hard, but that wasn't really my excuse. I just, I was young, I was a kid, I was just going through life trying to figure out who I was, and I had some good friends over there. It was really fun to be a part of that program. Um, it, it, as far as school, I went to the library every day. They call me 4.0 Fernando because I, I got uh, 4.0 my freshman year, my sophomore year, I think. No, no, no. My freshman year, my first semester was 4.0. I think I was like 3.5 the second semester. What were you studying? Just basic stuff. I, I think I was always going towards criminal justice, but I never, you know, I didn't was,
1: have a major at the time.
0: No, no, it was just um, whatever, and also easy classes. I had some remedial classes in the beginning. I didn't really test well. Um, my SATs were bare minimum. I didn't really take. Um, I didn't really take school serious. However, when I went to Arkansas, a university, I knew that I didn't know how to write a proper paper. I knew that I had to study a lot. So I went to the library every day and stayed there for hours every day just because I was so afraid that I'd flunk out because I didn't have confidence in school. And I ended up doing good. Um, grades are good. Everything was good. Um, yeah. And I left. And what a lot of people don't know
1: is that I was back the next year. I went back to Arkansas. Uh, well, I remember you left, I came back to Fresno. Fresno, Fresno you went State. to Fresno State. They got rid of the program at yep. Fresno State because of Title IX, I think. And then you went back to Arkansas and you weren't on scholarship at that point. No, you were paying no. out of your own pocket. Yeah, I took out all, all the loans
0: because, okay, and, and and I wasn't doing good in life, okay? Like, I never really told a lot of people, like, you know, and I'm not going to tell everything. Um, maybe when I write a book or something. But I came to Fresno and I was, I came hung out with some of the friends that never got to leave, right? Well, I'm loyal to my friends, you know, my family. I wasn't doing good in life. I I wasn't necessarily going on my classes. You know, I kind of got lucky that they dropped their program. I got lucky they dropped their program and I was able to get a free pass to go transfer again because they dropped their program. And I kind of got that kind of saved my life because the route I was heading, it was not good at all. After you left Arkansas, after I left Arkansas and I came here, my life wasn't good and it was going down fast. How long were you back here? About. I came here the summer of 2002 and I left in January of 2003. So, seven Not long months, at all. 7 months too long, put it that way. I went back to Arkansas January 2003 and right in time to go to school. I talked to coach, he said he never wanted me to leave in the first place. He's happy I'm back. I ended up going I was working um department store. Um I was I took out all the loans I could. I wasn't going to get a scholarship. I didn't deserve a scholarship. Um, and yeah, I ended up running a little quicker. I ran 1429, 817, 3K. Um, and that was it. And after that, it was the summer of 2003. And I says, you know, school, Arkansas, all this isn't for me. I'm going to go back to California. And I went back and I, that's when I started laying tile here. That's when I started. And I, I didn't lay tile. I was a tile helper. I made like eight bucks an hour. So you just quit running altogether. Yeah. For that, like I think it was like seven months or six months. I didn't run for the rest of that year. I was not even, I was barely 21 and I was like, Oh, I tried. But then, um, and you know, I I came back here and I was structured. I I started working, make my little money. I had a girlfriend that staying out of trouble. mm, Yeah. yeah, For the most part. I wasn't, there wasn't, I knew that that was my life and, you know, just drank with my cousins on the weekends. Um, nothing too crazy. I was never really crazy, crazy. Um, Never involved on like 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 doing crime or something like that. I was never like that. Um, at the at the worst of it, it was just drinking.
1: Um, but you weren't training. You weren't racing. Not working no, toward any of those nothing. goals that, that was you had that,
0: for yourself. Was, my school was over. I already transferred a lot. I didn't think that was that that was out of my. That wasn't for me anymore. No Do you think your education was done at that point too? Oh or? yeah, that was over. That like I was just going to work and that was that. And
1: just going to lay tile. I made
0: three hundred dollars a week. You know, you live with parents, you know, I had a car, made my car payment, had my little money on the weekends or whatever. Um, and yeah, uh, but an argument with a coworker, cause I kept always talking about running how I could have did this or I could have did that or I did this and I, why the fuck are you here then? Why are you here? If you're so good, why are you here right here helping us laying this tile? And, and things were escalating up to that point. I was over, you know, we weren't getting along anyway, but, um, I was mad and I said, you know, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to just get back to running that light of fire under your ass. Yeah, man. I, I went on Google or Yahoo or whatever it was and search engines. And I put, I said, you know, the NAIA is different from NCAA. What maybe I could go there. I don't know. So I said, okay, it was 2004 or I said, who was 2002 NAIA national champions? And it said, uh, Minot State University. I'm like, where's that? Minot, North Dakota. I ended up going on the website, finding Scott Simmons. Ended up saying, hey, um, I've ran this and this at Arkansas. I ran this in high school. Ken, is there anything you could do? He got a hold of me within days. I remember I was at work. He called me um on my cell phone and we started just yeah he he says we talked a couple of times and all of a sudden yeah i want you here in the spring and i'm like the spring
1: it was like january yeah 03. i think i talked
0: from him in december yeah right in this oh four so this is december 03. he says you've been running right i'm like yeah i didn't run for like steps like so in 2004 January. I only had so much money because I went to Vegas for New Year's. I spent all the little money I had left. I went with two bags on the on the Amtrak that took about two days to get to Minot State with two bags, clothes, no money, no bank account, no don't know that. anybody, don't know anybody, and I'm just desperate for my life. You know, I'm like, oh, well, it's another chance. It's my last chance. I get there and I he picked me up and I said, this is going to be interesting. He said, yep. Uh, yeah. So then at the end of the year, I ended up getting back, getting back into school, getting my credits back up. At this point, I haven't put on a jersey for like two years. The last time I put on a jersey to run for a school was at still Fresno State. It was 2002 fall. I, um, I was at Minot
1: State for a, a semester. So you got what, like three years, roughly of college done by this point? You if would you piece think, it all together. Mm, two, two, yeah, two and a
0: half, three years. Okay. Yeah. Um, Some two and a half solid years. He ends up getting another job in Virginia. He got another, he switched coaching jobs. And before I could even represent not, because they had won 2002 and 2003 cross-country national, uh, the national championship across cross-country, two-time NAIA national champs. And so I was excited to run because I, I knew that I was going to be the number one guy on the team. And I knew that, you know, all the other guys were good. So I'm like, yeah, I'm going to lead the team. Well, we we go to Virginia, 2004 fall. So you just following him, I followed cross-country. Him. I say, man, I said, I mean, this is my life. This is, uh, I'm down for it. He says, it's going to be better for you. It's better weather. I get there. 2004. Got third at NAIA nationals. I tried to win a well, half mile to go. Raced a guy from Lindenwood who, I guess they go by trimesters. This, this guy, he was a Kenyan. He literally got there like in October. Cause they start their, their trimester or something like that in October. I raced them in November and I ended up being with them and made a move with half mile to go. He blew me out of the water. The fact that I went, I overextended myself, fell apart. The guy who was in third caught me. So I I, I led my team to a, a national championship, though we won. And then, yeah, man, all is history. I won a bunch of national championships individually in track. And two years later, I, I broke the American record in the 25K, ran 212. Do
1: you end up graduating yeah. from Virginia Intermont?
0: Vermont? No. No. So. What were you I, studying there? Criminal justice. So. I get there, and and, and and so I had about three semesters left of eligibility at two, tr- one cross country and two tracks. Okay, so by the time track season came in a year and a half, I mean I was already pro. I already everything was everything I caught up. I was like a fifth or sixth year senior. Um, if, if I so I started, I started meeting the guys who I went to high school with and who were seniors now. And when I was a senior, um, I was kind of like equal. I somehow caught up to them. You know, with all the craziness I went through and all the um bouncing around, I, I still I still had it. Um I, I didn't I didn't finish. I was a semester away from graduating from that school uh when I left there. And I didn't really worry about school. I didn't really care. I was like, I'm an athlete, I'm here to run. Do you have professional ambitions at that point for running? Oh yeah. Yeah, that, that's all I cared about. And so in two thousand six I ended up signing my first contract with Reebok.
1: This after you won and broke the American record yeah, twenty five K champs. A month, a month
0: or so later, yeah, I ended up going and then um I ended up signing for X amount of money and then I ended up getting a nice bonus, all this apparel, all this cool stuff, and I just started traveling and the world was mine. You know, I just was like this is this is my
1: destiny and did you take a second to stop and recognize that as a kid who grew up in Fresno looking at maps, being like, I wonder how all these other kids are living. I wonder what else is out in the world. And now here you are in your early 20s and you have been successful enough in this pursuit of running to sign a contract that allows you to do all that stuff. Did you allow yourself to recognize it?
0: No, I didn't have enough courage to even acknowledge it was so overwhelming that it, it, it takes courage to let let good things sink in you know it, like i said I, I a lot of times i like i i didn't know it but i was still holding on to a lot of guilt a lot of issues that my running was kind of just my crutch running was just kind of like my escape still and
1: cuz it all went away
0: yeah i didn't have to think of anything i didn't ever think of anything i didn't care like i just was just like no one even knew me as a deep person and able to talk. I didn't know how to properly have a conversation or even listen or even be in tune with someone or be empathetic to somebody. I didn't, I didn't have those traits. I didn't know. Or when somebody was, was down like me, I could look at people and I could see pain in their eyes now, or I could feel, feel them. It's, it's crazy. Um, but no, I didn't, I didn't stop for one second to acknowledge anything. And that's, I don't know if I, 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 regret that. I mean, I, I, I acknowledge but you can recognize it now. Oh yeah. I, I knew I was different then, you know, but it, again, I was just going now, if everybody could, you know, if people knew exactly what my journey was, they would understand, but they don't. When we're really little, especially when we're young, or if, if you're not, if you're ignorant in some way, or you never really experienced life or been humbled enough, or I don't know, you, you we're cut cutthroat. Like we judge people. You know, we so while we think that everybody's supposed to think like this or feel like us, or it's not like that, and it's complicated sometimes. But um, I always say everybody, we're just in our own, we got our own journey, we got our own rhythm, you know, and that's kind of just what I, what I, what I was doing. Um, but yeah, no, it was cool. You know, running my first marathon in Japan, <laughs> walking around, you know, it was, it was crazy. It was just... Is that the first time you'd been out of the country? Mm, no, I, I, you know, like I said, um, my first time... Oh, at cross the, country. Yeah, cross country world champs right. Belgium. Belgium. You know, I, I I started making a lot of teams like in 2005. I went to Japan. I went in 2005 um, first time. And then um, the second time was actually when I went to my marathon. But I was running those cheap ekadens So I made... I made a lot of international teams during that time from 2005, six, seven. I made up most of my teams. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, man, it's, uh, it, it, it's it's been pretty cool Uh experience all those countries. And still even now, you know, in recent years, even now this, this past year, I, I've seen some countries. Um, but, yeah, no, it, it's cool. That's what I've wanted to do. However, now I want to be settled and build something now and and kind of take back my life here in Fresno and be something powerful in
1: my own eyes I guess you could say let's come back to that in a few minutes let's stick on 2006 you make your marathon debut end of the year fukuoka december a lot of Americans don't go there anymore. Back in the day, that used to be like where Bill Rogers would go, Frank Shorter would go, and they're like revered in Japan. Like an American marathoner goes to Japan, they run that race; they're revered. So here you are, 24 years old, you're just out of college or just finished up your eligibility mm-hmm. in college, mm-hmm. and you decide to make your marathon debut. And spoiler, it goes really well. You run 2:12 and change. I think it's sixth or seventh fastest American debut of all da- of all time at the time. Yeah. Like, how are you? Like, how are you thinking about? your place in life at that point? (laughs) Man. I, um, first of all, Scott Simmons is
0: the one that found that race for me. He said, bear Rogers. Everybody used to go there. I was always a different cat. Like everybody told me to go to Chicago. Everybody said, no, don't go this. Don't do that. But see me. I've always kind of like been different from everybody. You know, I was an adventurer. you know, like you said, like a kid that looking at maps, I want to travel the world. And that's just me. A lot of people won't agree with that. Um, when I went to the race, there there was only one pace setter, and that was, um, they were going three minutes a K. That's 206 marathon pace. Haley Gabriel Salasi was in the race, and they went out, and I I was me and Mike H that ran for New Zealand. He went to Western State. Uh, I believe he's still in, I don't know where he's at. Colorado. He's
1: still in Colorado. Funny story. I ran Division Two at Stonehill, and I remember the first time I made nationals as an individual my sophomore year, Mike H. One, this is in Slippery Rock, Pennsylvania. I remember going down a hill and he was coming back up. It, cause <laughs> I was so far behind him at that point. I remember he had just run in the Olympics for New Zealand yeah, at the an time. Animal, yeah. I mean, he
0: was really, really good at, from Western State. And, and anyway, so... I I didn't know what I wanted to run. I said, okay, five-minute pace seems easy. You know, at this point, I think it was six weeks earlier, I ran 102.45 at the Monterey Bay Half Marathon. They used to call the Big Sur Half, and that's a hard course. And I didn't know it was hard. I was just so good of shape. I ran a 102.45 there, and I'm like, yeah. um," And then 10 days before the race, I ran like a 13.57 on the track, 5K in Japan. So I was pretty confident, Um, but I didn't really know. It was my first one. Um, We had no pacemaker. It was me, him, and older guy probably in his 30s maybe even 39 um from sweden or something so we're like all right we're all gonna we're all gonna do 2k at a time so you do 2k you do 2k so i think we'd start doing that around 8k we didn't talk about that in the beginning we i was just by myself out the backpack running for the first 8k we ended up so like like bumping into each other and then we made that deal right around 10k we started doing that so we started doing that back and forth. At 20K, the Swedish guy or so, he couldn't go no more. Or I think right before 20K, he dropped off. It was me and Mike, Aish. We got through the halfway mark and it was 105.53. I started to pick, I wanted to go and pick it up. And then Mike said, no, 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 no. Just stay right here. If you feel good at 30-something K, then you could go. Just stay like this. And so I took my 2K, he took his 2K. And I thought it was because we went by Ks. So a marathon's forty-two point two k. So forty-two k and two hundred more meters. I thought I didn't think about the point two. I just thought that it was forty-two k. So the whole time I thought I was on two eleven pace going into the race. It was windy and cold. I was um my, I I was with Mike Heschel about thirty-five k or whatever whatever that is twenty-one miles or twenty-two yeah twenty-two. I started going feeling good. I had the fastest, besides Gabriel Selassie, my last 2K or so, 2.2K was the fastest. When I got into the stadium, we had one more lap to go. I saw like 2.11 something. I'm like, wait a minute. Where did I get that time at? I thought I was picking it up. I I went like a 68 second last 400 meters. And I was ninth place. And yeah, I I ran and I was like, man, that's easy. What was the, I, I had a lot more in me. Um, but I can't say that. Maybe if I would have took off way too quick and I would have died, I don't know, but I felt good. After that, I said, I'm going to make the team. I thought that, you know, I'm going to make the Olympics. 24 years old, world is mine. World is mine. Do whatever I want. I'm going to make more money. I'm going to be able to go do this, this, and this, but um, I lost focus. I fucked everything up. After Fukuoka? Took me a long time to, to get out of that, that, that hole. like mental, like I lost my rhythm. Like I didn't, I left coach a um, few months later. I, I didn't, the reason why I was so good is because I had a good support ne- network with my team. They needed me for points. They needed me. And I was always there to kill myself, run all these events, trying to get points for them. And it was just this running different distances. And so now I wanted to all of a sudden be a prima donna or whatever you call those where you're just like, oh, no, I'm only going to race certain things or train a certain way. I got to – I needed to get back to basics and just train like a college athlete again. And I didn't do that. Is it
1: safe to say you became more selfish during that time?
0: I was always selfish. I just would find ways – to help, but still, I just wanted to win, but you know they needed me, and I needed to win I wanted to win i just um I just stopped I just started changing like the way I would train, and I just was i didn 't have to run indoor no more that 's the thing and and so a lot of times we just start running road races and we get away from our speed and um I was really fast, I ran thirteen thirty four in college, and I didn't have that many fast those many opportunities to run a fast 5K. I could have broke 13:20, I believe, if I would have kept on it. Um, I just never did. I, I I ran the American record in a 25K, 4:47 a mile, 15 and a half miles. I barely turned. I was like 23 or just turned 24. I was like a month out, and I never I stopped developing myself and with my speed and trying to break four minutes in the mile. I just got thrown in the distance, you know, just like I was in school, like when I was third grade. I I liked the attention you know I was good at something, and I was one of the top marathoners um I messed everything up world championships came two thousand seven at this point out Scott Simmons wasn't my coach I did bad bad tactics in the heat after that i I was trying to get coached by Scott again but it just didn't work out um the trials were coming up I didn't even run the trials my very first Olympic trials. I wasn't going to go. I didn't go because I just wasn't ready. Like, that's how I've always been. Just, if I wasn't ready, I'm not going to go there. If like I'm not a participant, you know. If I can't compete, then uh, just don't waste your time. So I didn't go. Um, yeah, so I, I didn't really get my running back together until 2008 when I won my next national championship. I won, you know, 2008 Marathon Champs at Twin Cities. That was a good day, but I had to do it. I needed to. Do
1: you feel like you were in a better place at that time, 2008? I was training with Steve Jones, uh,
0: Ed and, and Jorge Torres. I had some, you'd you'd moved to Boulder by that point. Right. I moved to Boulder right around January of 2008. So yeah, it was good. Colorado was good. I didn't necessarily get faster. I got some championships there. Um, but that's how it goes. I think we always expect us to go faster, faster, faster. I, I, it was good structure. Um, I, I, I think I was critical of Steve Jones. I didn't give him as much credit as he deserves. I definitely regret that. And over the years I've expressed my, you know, I've thought and thanked them because I was still just a kid, 25 years old, wild kid. Um, just immature. Yeah. just, like I said, just going through my own process, my own journey, you know, it's just, yeah, just a lot of things. Um, and <clears throat> yeah, no, it was, uh, Won a national championship and, um, yeah, I'm just trying to remember everything. That was well, correct me if me.
1: I'm wrong. I think you stepped away from running for a while during that time or not long after that. That was in 2012. Okay. So a few years later.
0: Yeah. Um, after the trials,
1: I forgot what I got injured. I got injured. And you, you had a good trials in 2012. Was, yeah. Seventh in Houston.
0: So after 2008, so 2008, I won a national championship and then 2011. I was just, um, yeah. I was on. I, I, I was my time. I was like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm sick of this. I want to get back to where I belong. I won another national championship in the 25k, and I started um, back at it. 2012 went good, and you know, I started out the year by running 2:11:53. So finally, my debut was 2:12:27 in 2006. I come back 2012 January and run 2:11:53. I was 29 years old.
1: And you're thinking pretty optimistically about your 30s at that point or no? Yeah, yeah. But then I got injured directly after that and I couldn't get better. I don't know
0: what the heck. And at this point, my my, my contract with Reebok was done at the end of 2010. So I was with them for four and a half years. I'm very grateful. I, and, you know, again, I didn't even know I'd have a conversation. I'd have no relationship with them. I just relied off my agent to to speak for me. But that always didn't, you know, didn't always turn out the best. I, I needed to go and have a relationship with them. I didn't know how to do that. Um, that I had no clue, actually. So, yeah, I uh, stepped away, um, explored some other options. But real life, well, real life is what we make it, right? But the outside the running world, it's dark. And I get a taste of it all the time. You know, you try to step around running. Okay, go, go out, go, go get away from your running and go see how what's going to happen. And, you know, <laughs> without going in, going any deeper than that, um, it, there's really not much out there unless you're going to, you know, you better have a really good focus. If you're just going to go float along and there's people that are just some toxic people and they'll take every ounce of light out of you, you know, as deep as that is and as crazy as that sounds. But, um, yeah. So, I got back into running. Got back, getting focused. And um,
1: what did you do when you stepped away, 2012? Um, when you were injured? Yeah, I, did I you went, think it was over at that point.
0: Oh yeah, I went to I went to North Dakota. Um, started drinking too much, and you know I was um, going to try to go. I knew a family out there that um, that had some ties to some jobs uh, that in the oil industry. And I needed to get a commercial driver's license, and I was about to get ready for that. But then, um, yeah, just, just, just not living, you know, gaining some weight, drinking too much whiskey. Um, that wasn't for me. That wasn't going to last too long. I left. How long did it last? Four months, five months. I'm not sure. Some. I mean, I think it was from, like, May to end of the year. I, I came back to Boulder that fall, and then I just started training. You know, I think when I went to North Dakota, I started running I started running four miles. I said, "No, man, I, I want it. I want it because my my pain was it was gone." I ended up um, I ended up being friends with uh, Ali Kiefer. Met Ali before I left, and Ali Ali saved me. She helped me. She helped me. She um, she took me to John Ball, John Ball in, in Phoenix when I got back, and uh he, John Ball fixed me, and I was able to start training. And then I started just um. Just running, just just because I just wanted to
1: be like mentally good, like just get back into shape. Um, Did you say your relationship with running at that time was different than it had been in the past? Yeah,
0: I think I I didn't really know where I wanted to go. I just said I wanted to go race and travel. I didn't really care about national championships. I didn't really care about anything else. You didn't have any
1: sponsorship at this time.
0: I actually, I started getting hooked up with Newton at that point. Okay,
1: I remember that on a very small
0: level. And guess what? So then all of a sudden we get to 2013. I crawl myself out of the hole. 2014 was my best year ever. I ran, I started out the year 102.00 at the Houston Marathon, 443 a mile for half marathon. I ran a 1346 indoor 5K. I ran a 211.36 marathon. And, you know, I'm placing wild races, made a lot of money. Um,
1: how would you feel mentally, emotionally during that time?
0: More depressed than ever. I started taking um <clears throat> I started taking sleeping pills um in 2013 because I had anxiety for 8 years prior to that. I would drink every night before a marathon. Just to calm your nerves. I needed like 3 or 4 beers. I remember before one of my national championships I drank seven beers before my race. Um, and I was like, man, there has to be, there has to be something that could put me to sleep and I could get a full sleep. I've never slept more than like three or four hours before a race ever in my life before 2013. One time I remember I was, um, at a race in New York. I tossed and turned. I didn't, I taught, I said, I'm not going to drink or anything. Um, in 2007, I got drunk before the USA AK national championships. I got fucked up actually. Um, that's after Fukuoka, you know, I'm big. You're a professional at this time. You get a contract. I fucked up, you know. I I apologized years later. I, I apologized to uh, Monty about five years ago or 2015. I said, I never really said, I never thought, I, I didn't really know how to say sorry. I didn't really care. You know, I was a wild kid. Um, And I, and, and. And that was embarrassing, you know, and I uh, went out the night before a race. Um, actually, it was a, like a storm, so they had to postpone it the next day. And 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 I did my typical, I'm just going to drink three beers. Well, I'm in New York City. I know a guy who's a club promoter, and I go and meet him. I said, I'm just going to drink a couple beers and leave. No, I didn't. I ended up drinking that bottle service, and I didn't mean, I didn't want that to happen. I got up, freaking pissed my bed, not, woke up with a pissed bed with, Coach Simmons knocking on the door. Fernando, they left, they have left you. They're going to Central Park. I woke up and I said, "Okay, coach, I will be right there." I get there, my head spinning. I took a freaking taxi. I don't even know how I got there. I got there, ran the race like an idiot. I'm, 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 I'm telling you, like, I think I told a couple people Well, people kind of, you know, it's like Fernando Cabada probably did this, even though I've never done anything like that in my life. And that was the last time I ever did anything like that too. Um, and yeah, I knew I burned a bridge with, with, with New York, um, then and there, and I just, whatever, right. Just what, what can I say? Um, and so that's why I've never was able to run a, a marathon, even though I've never wanted to run that hard course, I would have got killed. Um, but, you know, in 2015, um, you know, I, I was growing up more, you know, this is what, five years ago. And, you know, I disrespected them and I, it's embarrassing and I'm sorry. And that's not who I am, especially then now. Like, that's not who I, I am. You know, that's what I was then. But now it's different. You know, um, you've come I, a long way, man, in more ways than one. Yeah. And like I said, it's just part of the, my journey. This is just, this is just me now. That was just who I was then. And, and, and it's all about getting better. If you're not getting better, you know, then I don't know what to say. But for me, um, I've always, a lot of people might have a certain Certain opinion about me or something, but I can't blame them sometimes. I'm like, that's just what you know, the information. That's what we go off of. And sometimes it's like hand to hand combat. You kind of have to like prove them wrong in like then and there to them. But for me, I can't worry about anything so much about anyone else because I got my own freaking issues that I'm just trying to keep alive. So let's go back to the pills.
1: To 2014. year of running you've ever had. Okay. But so I started. Okay. So then
0: I didn't know. I started taking generic Ambien. I got, I I asked a sports doctor, I was like, hey, well, how do these, well, people, you know, take these and they go to sleep. Because I, I actually, I read in an article. I read someone, someone saying, how do you sleep before a race? They said Ambien. I'm like, what's Ambien? I started, I started, um, I'm not into pills. I don't even care about that kind of stuff. Like, I don't want to go to sleep, you know, like I don't, I, I never abused them. I don't even know how to abuse them. Like I, I used to think, oh, um, you know how people say, oh, don't drink these, don't drink with these pills. Well, <clears throat> when I went to Berlin, sometimes I would drink a little bit too much going to Europe. I'd go there like two weeks before, and I'd lose focus. I'd go in the party a little bit too much. Okay, so starting in 2013, whenever I would drink, I would go out drink, and then right before I went to sleep and closed my eyes, I would take a pill cuz i said well i wake up in 3 or 4 hours so if i take this pill it'll keep me asleep 8 or 9 hours or whatever i could get my rest so it's okay i did that like an idiot for years and i didn't know that it was affecting me and it was affecting getting me more depressed and i started getting suicidal thoughts i never thought that that those pills were the ones that was doing that to me it, it, everything started getting worse for me in 2014 i remember when i like when i before i ran to 1136 i couldn't have been any lower in my life up into that moment, I don't care. Like everything from my dad to like my traumatic, how I felt—that was the bottom for you. I I wanted to die. I was in a dark room in Prague. I felt like I was sick. I was so depressed. Like, cause what it would what it does is that mixture. If you drink three days in a row, which I did, I, you know I had a problem anyways. And you're taking three days in a row those pills, and it's like twenty times whatever. However you feel in a hangover, like. 20 times more depressed than I've ever felt. And I was like, why, what what happened in my life? Like what I'm traveling the world. I'm running fast. I ended up, um, was running a copacetic for you at the time? I don't know. I don't even know. Maybe. I don't know. It's just something I do. I did, but yeah, man. I remember I was a week before Berlin and I wrote a blog and just because I was so hurting so much, I needed to express something. And I called on some people and I said, I'm going to go back. I'm a loser. I can't do nothing right in my life. I get to Berlin three days before anxiety and all. But then I just rose. I started rising. I'm like, hey, man, you're here. Let, let's do this. I didn't, I did not I hadn't run a good race for like, you know, since like earlier that year. But I ended up going there and I ended up running 211.36. I came through 105.12 feeling easy. Boom. I'm a hero again or I'm, I'm good again. And so now I can do whatever I want. Everybody, you know, running, my performances kind of hit everything for me. It made me, I could drink more now. Like I could do whatever I want now because I'm doing so well in life. Running, it's just like it bought me
1: time. From the outside looking in, it looked like things were rosy. <sighs> oh, yeah. Like, I, like, like it made me look like I was a genius. Back to what we were saying earlier, though, about walking away from a race where maybe you don't hit that time you want. But if you can honestly say to yourself, like, I gave everything I had, like you can walk away happy. It's almost the opposite here. Like a lot of people tie their happiness up to a result and you would think like, dude, just ran two eleven thirty six, It's just PR, right? He's gotta be, he's gotta be over the moon right now. Um, I was happy. I was just happy
0: because my life has been, and there's so much things I'm not even mentioning. Like, you know, we could be here for weeks and that's why like, I know I want to write a book, but there's so much stuff that I'm not comfortable like saying everything. But I know that once I do that, it's going to change so many people. It's going to help so many people and give them hope. Because there's people right now that's in the dark thinking that they can never have a chance at success again. And I've been off and on
1: for hundreds of times and proven that to myself. Well, dude, just what you've shared in this conversation, even withholding whatever it is that you're withholding is going to help people. Oh,
0: yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's why you you were meant to come here and I was meant to be right here and we're meant to be right here right now. Um, so yeah, so, you know, after that, you know, to be honest, um, life, those pills were a big thing for me because it was, it would get me depressed and I didn't understand I, I wouldn't rely on them really. I didn't really, it didn't get worse until like 2018, um, where I needed more than normal to fall asleep now. Now I need a pill and a half. I needed 15 milligrams to go to sleep. I needed 20 milligrams of sleep. My body started relying on it, and I, I, I would run out of them, and um and I needed them to go to sleep. And I I remember when I was in 2018 for Berlin, I didn't have to run a good race for a while, right? And I ended up running 2.15.00. I didn't sleep. I, I probably slept because I didn't have enough pills to go to sleep. I probably only, I probably slept like an hour or about five hours in the past four days leading up to that race. Um, After that race, I was thinking, why the, what's wrong with me? Like, why do I, why do I feel so mixed up, so confused? And I said, man, these fucking pills. Um, One day, because I started having suicidal thoughts, I would have a nightmare and my nightmares would 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 imagine me hanging myself so i was afraid to go to sleep because i thought if i went to sleep because i heard a lot of stories that people would sleepwalk or do things you wouldn't wake up i that i would kill myself and i was afraid to go back to sleep and also that i started doing more research because in in 2018 i started doing more research and i saw like a lot of rock stars they started dying like a lot of a lot, lot of suicides and stuff like that are happening so um
1: I uh Was that when the light bulb went off for you? That- oh, yeah, I was like, wait a minute.
0: I went to San Antonio rock and roll. I forgot my pills. I was on the plane. I wouldn't take them all the time. I said, how am I going to sleep? I'm like, no, 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 no. This was meant to be. It's time to start taking control of your life and stop relying on things. You are in control. I said, from then on, it was like December 2018. I never drank. I've never taken any like uh, melatonin. Nothing to go to sleep. No sleep aid whatsoever ever since then. That was probably, that's going to end up saving my life. Like, just the fact that I could do that now. um, Like cold turkey. Cold turkey, yeah. I said, no, this is, I said, I don't care if I have to, if I don't sleep for a week. That's incredible. Yeah. I mean, I never, I never thought it was a big deal. Like, I I didn't, if I would have known this, like in 2014, I would have stopped then. I just didn't know. I didn't, because when you hear appeals, you think appeals going, people going out taking pills and abusing them like that. I never I said these aren't those type of pills. If I took this pill while I'm out drinking, I would pass out. Like these pills knock you out. And I don't care for stuff like that. Um I didn't even like smoke weed or anything like that. Like growing up around it when it was illegal, I never like wanted to um engage with any no, that I, don't, sort of I, stuff, I didn't right. care about that kind of I, I, I that's not my thing. Like it was drinking and stuff like that. And so I never had an issue with that um i'm glad i caught that because i started thinking you know if i was dating a girl if i took that pill am i gonna freaking kill her yeah you hear stories like that i got afraid i said this with this in my life it cannot like it cannot be and so yeah that was the last time that was i went back after the race i ended up falling asleep because i said i'm not afraid anymore do you feel at peace yeah i'm happy like every time i'd go overseas now i don't Take nothing. I don't care. Like I don't. If I only get an hour of sleep, it was meant to be. I flush those things down the toilet. And anybody that takes them, I would advise not to stop taking them
1: immediately. That's a big takeaway, and that alone is going to help a lot of people listening to this because, much like you, they don't know. The education is not there. I didn't know either. And sometimes it just takes someone who's been through it and mm-hmm. has suffered from it and has had these thoughts i appreciate your honesty and vulnerability yeah. in sharing that because i know how hard it is and i know how scary it is for yeah. someone to listen to that but no doubt there's someone listening to this who yeah. is hearing that and it's like I-, I gotta stop doing this because yeah. it's, it's not good for me it's not good for the people i surround myself mm-hmm. with and i don't know what's gonna happen yeah
0: i mean ever since then everything like depressive or whatever i never had those thoughts anymore i you know we all go through our own little deals but if i feel bad i just feel bad and the next day i'm fine but i never it never dragged on and it's just like i got my life back so it was good that was a big step um what else have you used to cope with those feelings of anxiety you know i think um when i just started like 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 talking more about what happened uh with my father and i started writing my dad at in january or january of 2019 and i started going back and forth with him that helped me a lot and and when i went to visit my father after uh, you
1: hadn't had a relationship with him for a long time i didn't talk to my
0: dad for 12 years from 2007 to 2019 and that's because i hadn't physically been able to touch i've physically been able to touch my dad maybe 20 in the 24 years, maybe twice. Um, and you know, I had a lot of built up emotions and everything, but, um, you know, my dad, he taught me a lot of good things, even though I, I I would say, man, that, that guy isn't worth shit. Like what the fuck did he, what was his whole existence? But without my dad, I wouldn't be here. My brother wouldn't be here. My sister, um, anyone who I've inspired when I've been inspired, it, it, he was it you know and well, we wouldn't be having this conversation no no so my dad um i'm going to look at the good things in my dad the bad things i forgive and 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 there's no more like it's gone you know um it he he had a bad life himself he was beat a lot he started injecting heroin in himself when he was 14 he got you know in a hard life yeah, and and I got a hard life, and it's up to me to stop the cycle, and that's what I'm more worried about now. Not worried, I'm more um, motivated to to be a better person, and the fact that I didn't get married or have kids early, it was a reason I haven't built myself up. You know, I'm barely building myself up into the person I I belong to be, and I'm there. And um, yeah, it's really exciting. So,
1: well, I think all that we all are is a sum of our own experiences. And you've had some pretty traumatic experiences. You've had, you've had some pretty incredible experiences. You've had some pretty transformative experiences. And those combined have made you who you are today, Fernando Cabada, at 37 years old. Right. You know, there's a Bruce Lee movie, and I think
0: uh, it was like a quote, and it's I don't know exactly what it was. It went something along the lines of, you know, if you don't defeat your demons then your demons will get passed on to your next son or daughter or whatever, your next, you know, your kids.
1: Is that what you're living for now? I
0: really now? believe that. If I don't fight my demons and I don't control them, they are going to get, and that's, we see that all the time. That's what I, honestly, that's how I see this world. I see it like it's clear. Um That's just what kind of motivates me. And I make a conscious decision every day to, to choose right the path I'm on um. yeah, and all the, you know, all the decisions I make for my future is for my future
1: family. Um. Yeah, so. I appreciate that. Yeah. We're going to wrap up here as soon as we've been going for a while. We've got places to go, but <laughs> let's dig into your relationship with running right now. Your connection to it has evolved over the past i mean almost 30 years that you've been involved with the sport since you first got started as an eight nine year old kid in school what place does it occupy in your life right now early 2020
0: well i'm in the verge um you know I, i'm not a fresh athlete anymore i i don't make money doing it i'm not fast enough um
1: but you're still competing
0: still competing. I, you know, to be honest, I, I was injured for most of the year, but now the past month injury has went away and now motivation is coming back. I'm going to be 38 years old in April. I want to be a, you know, a fast masters runner. I want to, you know, win some national championships. I don't know if I could run under two I'm not really worried about running like that. If I can, I will. If I have an opportunity, I will. <laughs> if I did something amazing, I wouldn't be surprised, but um, yeah, you know, I've been coaching for four and a half years now going on five years. You know, I've, I've always been working with at least a dozen people, uh, various, it's an online deal um, throughout the world, and it's given me a lot of joy. Uh, you know, I'm more excited, you know, working with people and getting them to break through their barriers,
1: and that bringing me joy than my own running. Um, Let's hit pause on that real quick. I want to dig into that a little bit further. Was it hard for you to become a coach, to have other people relying on you to take them where they wanted <clears> to go?
0: At first, yes, because I, I I didn't know if I could do this online, and a lot of people are like, "Oh,, how, what do you do for them?" Um I feel like people are paying for my energy because if the way I could be i I feel that I could really reach people. I'm a very effective person. I think I have a lot. I believe in myself as a healer, I'm a very spiritual person, and I just it's not about a workout all the time. It's about a connection, how you can make somebody feel, believing them, inspiring them. And obviously, like, try to keep them, in, not do anything crazy and keep them consistent, you know? A lot of people have a lot of negative thoughts, and they live like that every day, and they don't have anyone to tell them something to change that and and look at the positive things. Like I learned from Scott Simmons. Scott Simmons taught taught me to think of every situation, try to find something positive in that, and that's kind of how I live my life. Oh, I didn't get a PB yeah, but it was a good workout, but it was this, it, you could have been, you know, you could have been hungover this day, but you got up and you ran a half marathon or you could have anything that's positive, you know, um, yeah. And so I started out with two people. Um, and then I'm like, Oh, this is easy. And started, you know, juggling six, seven, eight people. And, you know, kind of the first year, I think I was only like 10 people, but now I think I've kind of hit a good sweet spot. I'm happy with it. Um, something that doesn't you know, overflow. It's all kind of more word of mouth. I have a, a website that I made four and a half years ago, and I've never touched it in four and a half years. I'm trying. My goal for 2019 is actually to change the website and maybe try to fix it up. But you know, to be honest, people are energy, and and sometimes you're not always going to get the best energy. I think if it's meant to be, that person I'm supposed to work with, we will become in contact. And I would rather do that than worried about trying to like coach all these people make a bunch of money because hey nothing's for free really you know you're gonna pay one way or another and i would rather just something that's meant to be and and something organic
1: so but i love that approach because for me as a coach like it's consistent with mine it's about the relationship with these people that that you're working with and yeah you write their training schedules and you're taking them to that boston qualifier maybe it's olympic trials or pr whatever whatever it is for them but it's like that's almost secondary to everything else that you're providing, the you know, the emotional support, you know, the sound the the sounding board. And and I mean I think it's just a reinforcement that relationships are the most important thing in life. And a lot of people you know whether it's with their coach or maybe it's with their spouse like they're they don't have like those those relationships yeah. and like that's what they're getting from you like they're getting someone who cares about them not only as an athlete but as a person and you know yeah they want to hit their pr but at the same time like just to know like hey someone took the care to write this work out for me and and, yeah. they, and they're and i'm yeah i'm paying them but they're helping me get to where i want to go and they're invested so i'm invested in them it's a beautiful thing
0: yeah it's definitely um they're, they're a part of something. Someone's a part of something, just like I want to be a part of something and I want to be good at something. But also, um, it's always the journey. It's always a journey. It was always it. That's the, the greatest part of it. Sometimes I'll go on vacation somewhere just to go oh, halfway across the world just to realize how cool of a life I have, my routine that makes me the happiest, you know. It was never like the end result. Yeah, we all want to run fast, but it's always just this journey every day running that that built me up, that gave me a good life and that's continuing me to lead me down a great path on and my future endeavors and stuff like that. So,
1: well, I think that's a great place to wrap up this conversation. Thank you for the past, I think hour and a half or so oh, wow. that we've been going, it's been a gift for me to be able to sit down here with you and talk about your life and some of these really hard things. I appreciate your honesty, your openness, your vulnerability in this yeah. conversation that we've been having.
0: Yeah, Thank you for giving me the opportunity to be able to let this out of me. And, um, you know, a lot of times I'm I'm thinking, what am I saying? But it was all meant to
1: be. All right. That's it for this episode of the morning shakeout podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen in. Also a big thank you to both new balance and gooder for help making it possible. The new fuel cell super comp elite V3 is going to be the shoe that I race the Boston marathon in next April. It's a next level racing shoe with a carbon fiber plate and plenty of lightweight foam underfoot for a cushioned yet responsive ride. Right now, there are select sizes remaining in an exclusive New York City Marathon colorway that are available on newbalance.com, so try and snatch them up before the holidays if you can, and they'll be more widely available in early 2023. Gooder sunglasses are just the best, and this coming weekend, from Black Friday through Cyber Monday only, Gooder will be offering 20% off their entire product line. So if you're in the market for some fresh shades that won't bounce, don't slip, and are polarized to protect your eyes, go to gooder.com and fill up your cart. Also, if you'd like to support me in the podcast, head over to Gooder.com slash Mario and use the code Mario15 to get free shipping on your entire order. Before we wrap up, I'd like to give a shout out as always to my man, John Summerford. He has produced every episode of the podcast and is the reason this show sounds as good as it does week in and week out. Also, thank you to Chris Douglas for being my right hand man and handling sponsorship sales and Jeffrey Stern for managing the AM ShakeOut social media accounts. I don't have a big team here at the Morning ShakeOut, but these three guys have been crucial in helping keep things running smoothly here. Last thing, if you're digging the podcast, I encourage you to sign up for my newsletter, also called The Morning Shakeout, at themorningshakeout.com slash subscribe, and in it, you'll get a collection of things that I've been thinking about reading and listening to lately that you might enjoy getting in your inbox every Tuesday morning. Okay, that's all I've got for this one. I'm Mario Fraioli, and this has been another episode of The Morning Shakeout Podcast.